0: From then our studies in First Peter to the second chapter, verses 1 to 3 of this interesting second chapter this morning. And we're thinking of the, the simile identified for us in this paragraph like newborn infants. Don't be a baby is a common saying in our culture. I've used it. You've used it. It is often further defined by the inclusion of the adjective cry. Don't be a cry baby. The phrase is used in the context of someone getting upset when they do not get their own way. That is the aspect of a baby cry that is being referred to here. It is not the size of the infant as we have told the children or the wrinkle skin, wrinkle-free skin of the baby that we would all love. But the crying of the baby, something that we are familiar with and we delight to hear at times. In these verses, we're exhorted to be like newborn infants. This dimension of the baby craving milk is held up for us to emulate. Babies up to the age of six months drink an average of 750 milliliters of milk per day. And in those six months grow an inch per month. Milk is their sole diet. So we are exhorted to be like them at that stage of their development. In their single and sole desire for milk that they might grow... We are to desire the pure milk, which I think refers to the Bible, that we might grow. Understanding milk as the Bible is within the context of these verses. Chapter 1, verse 22 to 25 has spoken of the word of God. This word, verse 25 says, is the good news that was preached to you. And so I think we're to understand as the old version, the King James version, adds on to the Greek, desire the pure milk it adds off the word, drawing on the context of verse 25. So this command is the same as we find in Psalm 19 verse 10, regarding God's word, using a different metaphor. We're to desire it. More than gold. This opening paragraph in chapter 2 brings us into a new section in Peter's first letter. It stretches to verse number 12 of chapter 2. And the section is marked, as we will see, by three similes. These similes transcend any cultural distinctives. The first simile is like new infants. The second is like stones in verse 5 that we'll think of this evening. And the third is like immigrants in verse number 11. These similes are pictures of how we should live. It's moving the teaching on from the first chapter, which contained a description of what a Christian is, to how a Christian should behave. So this first simile... Is that a Christian should have a thirst for the Bible, like a baby thirsts for milk. We should really want to know the Bible or to know the Bible better, to read it, to read all of it, to meditate on it, to live it, to share it, to long for pure spiritual milk. I remember sitting in a youth meeting as a teenager listening to older teenagers recommending all kinds of books that we should read. And one of the elders quoted this verse, desire pure spiritual milk. And his point was good that in all our reading, our main desire should be for the Bible itself. Hearing it preached morning and evening and reading it daily in our private devotions. We all know this. We know that as our food helps our body and as milk helps an infant to grow, we need the Bible to grow. We know we should feed on God's Word. But the really useful aspect of this paragraph is that Peter tells us why we should long for God's Word. And this is an important aspect of any behaviour. Why should you do it? The importance of providing a reason for duty is illustrated in the commands that we give to our children. Eat your peas, we say. And they might reply, why mommy? Why eat these green things that I'm not too keen on? Share your sweets, we urge. Why daddy? Why share these sweets that I love and bought with my own pocket money? Sit up straight in church, you might command. Why? Why do this? They and we need and want reasons for our duty. This is the skill of, of Peter as a pastor, understanding congregations. Here he is, urging them, urging us, long for the milk of the word. Why, Peter? Why? Give us reasons to help us to do this. And he provides three reasons. For us to do this. Reasons are a compelling force along the path of our obedience. They're like the wind on our backs helping us go down this particular road. We need such a driver to know why we were doing what we are doing. As you bench press 80 kilograms or 60 kilograms or 40 kilograms, depending on your your abilities at the gym, it helps if you know why you're you're engaging in this activity and and seeing this red mist before your eyes. As you engage in, in hill sprints beside your house and feel your calves burning, it helps if you know why you're experiencing such pain as you eat a salad for lunch, with a craving for the the sugar donuts or the toffee and apple ones that are are sold in an establishment down the street here, it helps to know why you're denying yourself in this way. And as you try to study in these days, uh, young people, for your exams, with that temptation pulling at your heartstrings uh, to go on to the, the PlayStation 5, it helps to know why you're doing this. And so this paragraph is crucial for us. He not only gives us this command that we all know, but he gives us three reasons to fulfill the command, the wind on our backs to drive us along this path, which all of us from minister to this youngest child find hard to do consistently, to desire, to long for, the milk of the word that we may grow. I think this sermon could be transformational for you. That you might look back to this day and realize that it was this moment that changed your life, changed your marriage, changed your family, changed your business. When you took this command seriously and drunk in the three reasons that are given here and you consistently give yourself to reading God's word, you're a new man, a new woman, a new young person. So what are these reasons that we have here? To make interaction with God's word an essential of our day, along with our flossing and our showering and our sleeping. He uses three participles. Verse 1, so. Verse 2, that. Verse 3, if. Firstly, then, because of our congregation. Secondly, because of our character. And thirdly, because of our Christ. Firstly, because of our congregation, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. And envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. The first reason given for desiring the word is for the good of our congregation. How's that, you're asking? Well, here we go. The reason is identified by the word soul in verse 1. Soul, put away, it's connecting what, what lies behind The connection of thought is a bit complex, but it's definitely worth us grasping. Brotherly love was exhorted in verse 22 of chapter 1 as one of the elements of the redeemed life along with faith and hope that we noticed last week. It's the chief mark of being born again, brotherly love. Such love among believers in a congregation can only be sustained and developed where certain attitudes and actions are avoided. And these actions to be avoided are detailed in verse 1 of chapter 2. These are the five love breakers. And so he exhorts, put away these five vices so that brotherly love will flourish. But we can only put away these vices by desiring the pure milk of the word. So brotherly love is to flourish in our congregation by avoiding these five love killers in verse 1 and we can only remove these love killers through drinking in the word of God. Rather than give us five opposites of the vices, Peter gives us the more general source of goodness in us, the Word of God. Rather than saying, put away malice and envy and strife and put on these five things, he says, put those away and long for the pure spiritual milk which will produce and nurture Brotherly love. So feeding on the word of God will make us strong to put off the killers of brotherly love and keep them off. Like a chicken breaking out of its shell, we are made strong by God's word to put off these love breakers. The sharpness of the point is lost in our English translation a little, but it's present in the Greek if you allow me just a moment to explain it. Look at the word deceit in verse 1. It's dolon in Greek. The word pure in verse 2, describing the milk of the word, is dolon without deceit. So you see its point. The word of God is the very opposite of and the antidote to the vices in verse 1. This specific connection of these two words indicates the more general connection that feeding on God's word will counter the evils that destroy love in a congregation, a family then, and a marriage as well. In the first verse, we have this image of someone taking off their dirty clothes Perhaps it helps you, it it helps me to understand these vices and to remember them if we match the five vices mentioned here with items of clothing. Malice is like the overcoat. A general word for evil and wickedness, which includes the other four terms in verse 1. It covers them like an an, an, an overcoat. It includes both negative and positive actions. We won't let our neighbor's tires down. But we might not help them pump them up. Malice. Deceit. It's like the jacket that has flaps, but no pockets. You can't put your keys or cold hands or church sweets in those pockets. They're not there. There's deceit. We're to put away deceit. Hypocrisy is like the waistcoat. It has a front and a back, but it's got no arms. Jesus describes such action when he said about the Pharisees, they say, but they do not do. Hypocrites know the right thing, tell others to do the right thing, but they fail to do it themselves. There's no arms, there's no practice, there's no action. My former bank manager warned customers about keeping, in the days of checkbooks and check cards, about keeping those two things separately. He went on holidays and had kept them together and they were stolen and people cashed his checks and we laughed at him because he was a hypocrite. Envy, this is the shirt, two sizes too small, choking us around the neck. We can't say well done to another believer. The words stick in our throat because of envy and slander. This is the hobnail boots by which we trample all over the character and reputation of other people. The word literally means to talk down someone. One writer comments, disparaging gossip is something which everyone admits to be wrong and which at the same time almost everyone enjoys and we find it hard to take the hobnail boots off you try going through a day without being unfairly critical of someone else and so we are to desire the word to put off these soil clothes And so preserve brotherly love in our congregation. Nothing will empower us better to maintain and develop brotherly love than drinking in the word of God. So this is the first reason we're to open up God's word in public or in private. By doing this, our church will be better. There'll be more love among us. We're often rebuked and sure as we open God's word about nasty thoughts we've had or bad words we've said about another believer. Often we encounter good deeds that we're to emulate as we read the word of God because of our congregation. Secondly, Because of our character. Verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. The second reason we're to desire the word is that we will grow. That is another conjunction expressing reason for longing for the pure milk of the word. We know and are told by others who may or may not know from experience that trials should make us grow. We understand the metaphor of the wind battering the trees and strengthening the roots of the trees, and they argue trials should help us to grow, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Christian service should help us to grow. The image of someone exercising, developing their muscles and lungs is a good metaphor for us. As we exercise our spiritual gifts, we also should be growing. And sometimes we do grow in Christian service, sometimes we don't. But here's a third way, beside trials, beside service, that we are to grow. By the diet of Scripture, it will make us grow. Sitting under the preached word at this very moment, perhaps we're being changed and challenged and helped in our life. Spending time with God each day will have an impact on us for good. We'll be humbler, kinder, holier, gentler. We'll be more willing to serve. We'll be more generous. We will grow as we feed on God's word. It will develop our understanding. It will develop our emotions and the things we love. It will develop our choices and what we do. We'll be patient instead of irritable. We'll forgive instead of hold a grudge. We'll listen instead of speak. We'll believe instead of doubt. We will serve instead of being served. We will help instead of criticize. We will grow. A baby's weight doubles in the first six months as he or she feeds on milk. A baby grows faster than any other time while on milk. Milk and pounds go together. All the baby's taking is milk. The milk contains everything that the baby needs to grow. And we have witnessed this second reason (coughs) in a positive and in a negative way. In a negative way, we have seen older believers fall into sin. People who have been Christians for years, who have been leaders in their congregation, suddenly committing some public and serious sin. And we have wondered... Why such a person with all that experience and responsibility would do such a thing? And the answer usually is that they've been neglecting the word. Their private devotions were neglected, just a box ticking exercise. Their attending church was just for social reasons. They sat in church and thought how the sermon applied to someone else. Most congregations falling out occurs among older believers, more than among younger believers. And why is that? Believers have forgotten that they, that we, that all of us need to grow by the milk of the word. Without it, we'll be weak. What about this week, past? Have you opened the word each day? Spent time with God? Augustine says the Bible has depths in which an elephant can swim, as well as shallows in which a lamb can wade. But we've also seen this second reason in a positive way. We have witnessed Christians who rarely put a foot wrong, They're self-controlled in speech and action. They're wise and mature in discussions. And we marvel at them and we want to be like them and wonder how have they achieved this. And the answer is just right here. They've been regularly feeding their soul on the word of God. Maybe they've had trials. Maybe they've served a lot, but primarily day by day, they've opened God's word and applied it to their life. So let us have a time. Let us have a system. Let us have a method. Let us have a place for imbibing and feeding on the Word of God that we might grow. I visited someone who's professed faith recently in this congregation and suggested to them as I gave them a Bible that they would read a chapter per day. A chapter a day, they said. I've read Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and half of Genesis in the past couple of weeks. They were like a newborn babe, desiring the milk of the word that they might grow. And Lastly, because of our Christ, verse number three, there's a third reason appended here, isn't there? It's, it's, it's joined on to this command in the second verse, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good or gracious. The third reason for desiring God's word is that he is good and gracious. The Lord here means the Lord Jesus, as verse 4 indicates, graciousness, goodness. It's a magnetic quality, isn't it? It's a person who gives to us what we don't deserve, but we need and we want. We cannot get enough of graciousness in someone else, in the word of God, we encounter the graciousness of Christ. This is a third reason to open it, to engage with it, to to read it. Here's a person of grace speaking to us, loving us, listening to us. Tasted is a vivid word, isn't it? In verse number three, in an hour's time, we will see our dinner. We will smell our Sunday lunch. But then we will taste it. Taste is a superior experience. And so in the scriptures, we taste that the Lord is good. And that taste of his goodness should bring us back for more. We want to be assured of his grace and his goodness. We taste it in the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the tax collector in the temple, in the story of David, in the story of the dying thief and the cross. And we put ourselves in those stories. We taste that the Lord Jesus is gracious. We all desire acceptance and love and forgiveness. And reassurance, don't we? As we read the word, we encounter in Christ someone who loves us, accepts us, forgives us. And reading such a book and experiencing such grace should not be a chore, but a conversation. Not a burden, but a boost. Not a duty, but a delight. As we meet our good and gracious Lord. In many ways then, we're not to be like babies. We're to stand on our own feet. We're to be able to eat steak. How good it is. But in this way, we are to be like a baby, longing for the milk of the word. It's a spiritual battle for us. Perhaps our hunger has faded. Other things have Brought it, come into our life. We're busy. We watch too much TV. We're tired. Let us find a method, a way of opening up God's word each day, of coming along to hear God's word proclaimed. Whatever it takes, let us open the word for our character, for our congregation and to experience the grace of our Christ.